This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. The Word is working. The Word is working. It's out in Northern Virginia and it's working. (laughs) Amen. Ah, Lord. Just take the hand of that person next to you right now. I just sense that people need to be encouraged right now. Pray this. Father, Father, encourage this precious person. person. Holy Spirit, Spirit, give them some insight, some some new understanding understanding of your word word and your will will for them them. personally personally for the rest of this week. Thank you, Lord. Lord. It'll encourage them. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Ah, We're talking about, um, I know we started last week. (laughs) We always seem to start and it takes weeks to get through these things. But we're talking about the character of God. And I gave you a definition last week. And it's got to be a good definition because it came from the... uh, Concise Oxford English Dictionary. (laughs) This has got to be reasonably accurate. I'm not putting down Americanism. Come on now. Cut me some slack. But this is what it says. The definition of character is the collective qualities or characteristics, especially mental and moral, that distinguish a person or a thing. You see, there are certain things that go to characterize you. You've heard people talk about it. You've heard people talk about people and they say, you know, that person is characterized by this or characterized by that. When you hear qualities like uh, faithfulness or generosity, uh, you immediately have somebody who comes to mind. Amen? Those are characteristics. You associate that person with that quality. And that's what's being talked about. So character is the collective. It's all of them together. The collective qualities and characteristics, especially mental and moral, that distinguish a person or a thing from other people and things. Now, there are certain things about God that you and I need to understand. There are things about God that the Word of God tells us clearly. But, you know, we read them and we don't embrace them. We don't believe them. Now, if we did believe them, then we wouldn't have some of the problems that we've got. You see, uh, you know, and and I'm looking at America. I'm looking at, I, I love history. I love American history. And, and as I talk to some of the old-timers, and I do because I tell you there's a wealth of insight and understanding there that has been lost because, you know, we're in this high-tech age where they know everything, and pff, they don't. They don't. If they did, how come they keep changing? <laughs> Amen? I mean, what's in vogue today? And, you know, this is the latest 
uh, what happened to yesterday's lot, because that was the latest yesterday. But now we know so much more. Hello. Just means you didn't know everything yesterday. So why do you try and sell us on the fact that you did? But God knows everything. Now, where was I going to with that? Come on, help me. Oh, we were talking about, we, we're talking about old timers. And not Alzheimer's, old timers. <laughs> Something wrong with your ears or my pronunciation. Not Alzheimer's, old timers. But you see, you sit and you talk to them and they'll say, you know, there was a time when you could agree on a deal and just shake the person's hand and they would keep the letter of that deal. You didn't have to reduce anything to writing. On that date, whatever they promised would arrive. They, the, the check, whatever it was, it was there because it was agreed on. And the man, listen to this, was as good as his word. Let me ask you a question. Are you as good as your word? When you say, yes, I will, can whoever it is that you've spoken to count on you? Now, you see, I'm saying that because we have a covenant with God and we want God to uphold His end of the deal. When we're under pressure, the first thing we do is we pick up the word and we say, God, I've got a covenant with you. Like He needs reminding. And it says, and the whole reason that God says, call me into remembrance, He's, he's, he's not forgetful of that. We're the ones who need to be reminded. See, but we want to remind God, oh God, you said in your word, like we're holding your nose to this thing. And God says, yeah, but okay, I know, but now what did you say to me? I'll serve you. You will be my, the Lord of my life. And we'll let that one just hang there in the air. We'll take it like this. Just let it just hang there. But have a look at Malachi. <laughs> Chapter 3 and verse 6. What does God tell us about His character? Now, you see, He and His Word are one. They're the same. He, His Word and He are the same. When God says something, you can count on it. He's coming down the track with what He said. And he says there in verse 6, I am the Lord, I change not. I'm not going to change because you think I change. I'm not going to change because the circumstances of your life change. I'm not going to change because the economy of the United States changes. I'm not going to change because world powers change. I'm not going to change because people think I'm going to change. I change not. It's impossible for anything that goes on in this world to influence God to a point where God is going to change what He said He's going to be doing. Now, do you get that? Do you really get that? See, because when God says, I change not. We operate in a dimension called time. God doesn't operate in a dimension called time. God is not in tomorrow. Tomorrow's in God. God's not in next week. Next week is in God. God's not in next year. Next year is in God. Meditate on that. 
because time and eternity are in Him. He is not in them. That's why He is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, and He is everything in between. And He doesn't change. And He and His Word are one. Now have a look at Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. Because we're going to be talking about the character of God. We've got to get some understanding about the character of God. Right before the book of Hebrews. And before the book of Philemon. Titus chapter 1 verse 2. In hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie. Cannot lie. God cannot lie. Cannot lie. Cannot means it's impossible for him to do that. Just like, let me bring it down and relate it to us. You cannot fly. Do you want me to prove it? Get a stepladder, put you on top of the building. We'll have a healing service. You cannot fly. Cannot. Cannot. You may want to. You may wish to. You may think you've got the ability to, but you cannot. You can flap those wings, as, uh, those arms as much as you want to. They are not going to keep you airborne. Gravity is operational. You will fall at the rate of 32, second, 32, 32 feet per second per second. Is that right? That's what you fall at. That's the falling rate. Do you jump out of an airplane or from the top of this building? point I'm trying to make is this. You cannot. And the same way that you cannot fly, God cannot lie. So therefore, everything that God says is true. Why don't we believe it? See, our problem is this, that we are operating in the natural realm through things that feed into our senses, our five sense gates, And we take this information and we are making spiritual judgments based on the five senses out of the natural realm instead of learning to operate above the natural realm in the spirit realm. Find out what God has said and then I bring what God has said because the spirit realm is more real than the natural realm. This natural realm came out of the spirit realm. The spirit realm was there long before this natural realm was here. This natural realm is the product of the spirit realm and what's taken place there. So when you and I as born again believers filled with the life of God learn to operate in this natural realm but operate out of the spirit realm, you're operating at a far higher standard with far greater ability than anything that's taking place in the natural realm. 
Our problem is that we make judgment calls of God based on what we see, think, feel, are told, what we hear, and what we experience. Well, God heals sometimes. Well, dear Lord, what are the chances of Him healing you? You don't know. God delivers sometimes, but not all the time. Now, I'm sharing with you things that are preached off platforms. I'm not surprised that the body of Christ is confused. I'm not surprised that there are no manifestations of power because we don't believe God's Word. And what God is calling us to do is place a measure of faith and trust in Him and in His ability. Now, in order to do that, I've got to get some insight as to who God is and how He operates. Now, God says some very pertinent things in His Word concerning the two kingdoms that are in the earth today. One is the kingdom of darkness, the other is the kingdom of light. And if we'll believe what he says, we'll know where we're operating and where we should be operating if we're not operating there. Amen? Amen. So I take the word of God as being God speaking to me. Now man may say a whole lot of things that are different to this. But quite frankly, they don't hold a lot of authority in my life. There are people that I respect. But I want to tell you, in the main, the people that I respect are saying things very similar to what I believe. (laughs) Amen? Now, go with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and verse 10. I think we're going to be blue ashamed. Do you use that expression here? Blue ashamed? You don't? Well, you need to learn to use that expression here. I think we're going to be blue ashamed one day when we stand in the presence of the Lord. And he says, how many times did you read my word to you? But you didn't believe it. You see, the confusion that comes into our spirits is the result of sitting under wrong teaching. I'm not blaming the people in the pew. I'm blaming, blaming the people who stand on platforms. They bring confusion into the minds and the spirits of the, of the people in the, of God. Now, there is a measure of blame that's attributable to the people sitting in the, in the pews. Because, you see, you must decide, man, I'm not going to be led by the nose by some goofball that's standing on a platform. Now, he can stand up here and he can be as eloquent as all get out. But quite frankly, I'm going to check out what he's saying. You see, Paul, the apostle who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, comes along to a place and what do we find? He ministers there for a, a period of time and the people say, that was great. We loved what you said, but we're going to go and check it out because we know who you are. But despite who you are, we're going to check it out because of what you're saying. doesn't matter how great you are, what your reputation is. If what you're saying doesn't tie up with God's Word, guess which way we're going, Paul? We're going with God's Word, not with you. So we're going to check out. And I'll tell you right now, that's why I encourage you, bring your Bible along. I want you to, the same Bible that you should be using every morning when you're 
Okay, enough said. All right? Now, have a look at John chapter 10. Have a look here at verse 10. Now, this is God speaking to us. How all Scripture is profitable. All right? It's God-breathed. God breathed on it. And it's profitable. But all Scripture, all Scripture, the all Scripture includes John 10, 10. And Jesus is speaking and He says, The thief has come for one reason only, to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, I'm going to make a statement here, and I can't move from this. And I can't move from this because of the persuasion in my heart. Not because I'm being stubborn about it. But Jesus says there is one source, one source, one source. Say one source. That steals, kills, and destroys. And he's called the thief. Whoever's stealing your finances, whoever's robbing you of your relationship in marriage, whoever is trying to hive your kids off in order to kill them, whoever is doing whatever is causing you to be depleted in any area is not God. Not God. Every time that I see God move, God's heart is to bless His people. Do you know what the word bless means? Put you in a better position than you've been in. That sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And that speaks volumes to me. When does he stop being my ship? Never. He wants to be that all the time. And Lord, I've been in enough dry places. I want him to be my shepherd. I need him to be my shepherd. So when Jesus comes along and he says, the thief. So he's identifying somebody. And here are the characteristics of the thief. They come to steal. The thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. Whatever is trying to suck the life out of your body. It's not God trying to teach you a lesson. Whoever's trying to siphon off your finances and close the doors of opportunity in business, it's not God, it's the devil stealing from you. And that applies to every area of your life where you have been deprived and diminished. God is not the one who's guilty of that. That is so contrary to all His character. It reminds me of what God dealt with with Job in Job chapter 40. And you don't have to turn there, but you can go and check it out for yourself. Because God turns around and He says to to Job's friends, Job better pray for you. He said, because I want to tell you right now, I want to have nothing to do with you. You have spoken about me the things that are not true, says God. Because they were the ones that said, curse God to His face. He'll... Turn away from him. He's the one who's doing all of this to teach you a lesson. And God said, you've spoken about me the things that are not true. And God is real mad. You don't want God to be mad with you. Amen? See, it takes a whole lot to get God mad. I mean, he's, he's battling there with this guy, Job, for 9 to 11 months. At any stage during that time, Job could have put, turned that whole situation around. That's all. 9 to 11 months. It wasn't the whole of Job's life. And if Job had done it 11 hours after the first situation, God would have turned that thing around. 
Okay? So now, the thief has come for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But, says Jesus, I have come. Now remember this. Let's look at it in the context of what I'm sharing with you. We're talking about the character of God. He says, I have come to give you life more abundant. The Greek expansion of that is life of a superior quality. Superior quality. Superior quality. Now, that's what Jesus said. But you need to go back in your thinking because we're talking about the character of God. Jesus said, I say only the things the Father gives me to say. So that's the Father speaking. Hello? Do you see this? Now, Satan can't help stealing, killing, and destroying. Can't help it. That's why you and I are called by the Holy Spirit to close him down. Give no room to the devil. Give no opportunity for entry into your life. Close him down. Because his nature is going to be seen when he gets into your affairs. And his nature is one that steals, kills, and destroys. And that's what he purposes to do. So close him down. Don't give him those opportunities. Do you know that a sinner sins because he's a sinner? See, how many times haven't some of you loving God and you've tried to minister to your loved ones, your friends, your family, and you said, well, you've got to stop that and you've got to stop that and you've got to stop that. They can't help but do those things because the root is wrong. See? An apple tree is not an apple tree because it produces apples. It produces apples because it's an apple tree. Amen? Amen. The root determines the fruit. That's what makes it an apple tree. Whether it produces that or not, it's still an apple tree. And it's the root that determines it. But if it is an apple tree, that's what it's going to produce. And you need to understand the people that you're dealing with uh, in your family, your loved ones. They're doing what they're doing because... They are sinners, if they, if they are sinners, right? Now, put the boot on the other foot, and you and I are called to produce fruits of righteousness. Now, that puts a little bit of pressure on us. Works of right standing with God. Hello? Yes? Yes. The root determines the fruit. How well are you shaping up? You know, we want to be down on the sinners because they're sinning. They can't help it. But now you, you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> Don't give them this message. They're going to whack you with it. Now, we're talking about the character of God. Go with me to 1 John. That's the epistle of John right towards the back of your Bible. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. 
Say, I'm learning about the character of God. See, if you can see the character of God, when you look at a situation, you're going to be able to determine who's operating in that situation. Now, you do realize that as born-again believers, you've got the life of God on the inside of you. Amen? God's alive on the inside. His life is on the inside of you, flowing on the inside of you. You've got the life and the nature of God. Say, I've got the life and the nature of God. Now, let's have a look and see whether we do have. Verse 8. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is love. God doesn't love some. God loves everyone. 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 Now this puts a whole challenge in our lives. Because, turn with me to Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God... Is. Say is. is. Not will be. It is. Shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Now, there are a number of words that are in, the, in the Greek New Testament that are used to describe love. And I'm not going to do a teaching on those different words. But the love that is being talked about here is the God kind of love, and that is the word agape. Agapea is the root verb, or the root, the root word of, of, of that word love, agapea. Agapea means this. It's not the kind of love that a husband has for a wife. It's not the kind of love that a friend has for a friend. It's not the kind of love that uh, a man has for a woman or a child has for a husband. It's the kind of love which only God has, and it's the kind of love that transcends everything. It's the kind of love that enables us to look at a person, even though they're ugly on the outside, and I don't mean ugly in terms of what they look like, but their whole demeanor can be something which is aggressive and off-putting and just yuck. And look right through that and love them. See, agape love is this. This is what the love of God does. The love of God doesn't love because of, because you're so good looking, because you're so faithful, because you're such a giver, because you pray so often, because, because, because. No, no, no. Agape love looks way beyond that and loves us despite despite our limitations, despite our shortcomings, despite our failures. Now, that's the kind of love. God is love. 
I want you to notice something. 1 John 4, 8. God is love. Not God has love. You and I have love. God is it. And there's a difference between having it and being it. Amen? Now you and I have the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, 5. But we are not love. But God is. Hello? And I've got His life and His nature on the inside of me. So it means I do have within me the ability to be characterized as He is characterized. He is characterized by being love. I can have the same characteristic by having His love on the inside of me and allowing it to flow out. Hello? (laughs) Some of you gone home already. (laughs) Is this all right? Because I want you to see something. You see, we want the power, Lord. Send the power now. Why? So I can get everybody getting, you know, focusing in on me and watching this power flow out of me. Ah, it's not going to happen anytime soon. I want people to see what I know. Man, people, you don't know a whole lot. You might think you, you do not know a whole lot. In actual fact, you see, one of the things that I've discovered, as you mature in the things of God, the more you mature in the things of God, the more you come to a position where you say, Dear God, I'm as dumb as a post. I thought I had this whole thing laid out, and God just pulls that rug from under your feet, and you end up saying, Dummy. Come on. Isn't that the truth? Now, the love of God loves despite. Let me ask you a question. You Christian wife, battling with that husband who might be born again and might not be born again, how well are you doing? You husbands that have got no control over your temper, you think that's the love of God? And then you want your kids to stand in church and raise their hands and say, Oh, I've come from such a wonderful Christian home. (laughs) And you get home, you're behaving like the devil. You're not able to even work and, you know, interact with people. But the love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. Well, that's a great faith statement. I want you to know, unfortunately, the truth is that the love of God has, that's what it says, been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. You have not learned to take that love and focus it and release it. So it's just another area of growth that's needed. Now, why is this so important? Because the interesting thing about the Christian life is this. You can't be a Christian without other people being around you. (laughs) Somebody had to minister to you. Why do you think you were saved? To go and sit there behind walls, hidden from the world? I don't think so. 
We are called to be a saver of life unto life and death unto death. We did a little bit of this on Sunday. Was that all right on Sunday? Did you, get... you see, now, now the point is this, that when we, we get to this place where, Lord, I want to be used by you. He says, that's good. Thank you. I'm looking for somebody to use. Now, will you go down to the old age home there? There are some people that I want you to go and visit regularly. They need bedpans changed. Get behind me, Satan. I'm called to greater things than that. And Jesus taught, if anybody wants to be great in the kingdom, let him learn to serve. You don't serve naturally. It's not a natural instinct for us to serve. You have to learn to do it. Who are you serving? Well, I'm serving the Lord, brother. You can't serve the Lord if you're not serving people. There is one thing that we take with us when you and I leave the scene. People. That's the only thing you take. You leave your reputation. You leave your money. You leave your accomplishments and your achievements. Everything. Our investment is into people. And the Lord shows us how to do that. He says, learn to love them. And it's a learning process. Because, man, if you've had anything to do with people, they are not, in the main, easy to love. I mean, here I am. And to know me is to love me. Some of you just don't know me. Come on. Say, that's true, Pastor. No, I said pastor, not pastor. Now, I, I, want, you, I, I want you to see something. See? Sloppy, sloppy agape is not going to cut it. Because if the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart, we're talking about the character of God. Now, you see that person that's giving you the hard time? Now, you can go along on the one hand, and this is, you're not doing the wrong thing because you're discerning. That's a spirit operating in that situation. And the hardest thing to do is to deal with the spirit and not deal with the person. And in actual fact, the dealing with the person has got to be done in love. Hmm. So I bind that spirit that's operating, but I love the person who's being deceived by that spirit operating through them. That anger, that abrasiveness, I know it's not of God. Let me ask you a question. When you went off the deep end the last time, you know, yesterday, (laughs) maybe Sunday afternoon, uh, how would you have felt if Having just exploded, you opened your eyes and Jesus was standing there. Oh God, kill me now. Come on. Uh, Come on, wouldn't you see? Wouldn't you wish that? You lie, you would. You would. Huh? We just get totally, we feel, it's my right. I've had enough. 
I'm about to explode. And what happens is one of the kids just steps out of line. It's the one that you, you love, but it's just that one that always gives you a little bit of a prod. Now's your opportunity. And you just vent your spleen on this kid. Totally out of proportion. Huh? Help me out. Where's the love of God? And then we want our kids to learn to love the Father. And here they are watching you raise those hands that have smacked the snot out of them the whole week. Excuse the frankness, but I mean, that's what we do. And now we want them to love this God. And they say, oh, come on, catch a life, man. Get real, Dad. Now, I'm sharing that with you, you see, because there are going to be people you're going to be meeting this week, next week, next month, the balance of the year. Next year, balance of the decade. Who can need Jesus? They are not interested in your and my doctrine. Really, they're not. That is not what's going to persuade them to become followers of Jesus. They are going to be looking for the people who love them and care for them and care about them and they will gravitate towards those. What do you think happened at Heaven's Gate in San Diego? A people looking for somebody to recognize their existence, just to validate them as people. You behave like the devil in your home, and your kid, when he reaches the age of understanding, he ducks out at 16, he says, I'm out of here. And then you come along and, Pastor, we need to pray. My kid's out there. You know, I've raised them in a godly home. No, you haven't. You haven't. Godly home can be legalism that kills and destroys or it can be a manifestation of God working in the parent's life to change the parents so that the parents start reflecting Jesus. That's a godly home. Doesn't mean you don't miss it. Doesn't mean you're not perfect. I mean, doesn't mean that you, you, you don't miss it. Doesn't mean that you're perfect. It does mean this, however. And my kid can look at me, and when my kid looks at me, my kid sees God working in my life. And that might mean sometimes when I've been mad, and I've had to go and do this to my kids. After I've, I mean, I've, I've gotten mad, man, as a snake. I've had to go to them afterwards and say, I'm sorry. I apologize. I was wrong. I'm not a big to do that. And the kids, the kid has a right to expect that. You want the kid to go along and learn how to do that. You set the example. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. You don't get it right all the time. There's not a graduate school for parents where you come out and you're going to get everything right. Amen? All right, now let's have a look at this, folks. Because you see, I want you to understand you've got to get this established in your heart. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We are going to finish in 10 minutes' time. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Because we're saying that God is love. Not God has love. Say God is love. Not has love. 
God is love. Is, 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 is. God is love. Now, I'm going to get some understanding of how love conducts himself. And I'm going, to be, I'm going to have to understand that there's going to be a requirement placed on me to start operating this way. And initially it might start off in a program of effort and, and, and self-exercise in order to come to that place. But Lord, if I don't exercise myself and discipline myself to do it, it doesn't just happen. You've got a procedure when you get into your car. You've got a procedure for starting your car. I'll tell you what I do with mine. I get into my car, put the key in the ignition, turn the engine on, check the mirrors. This is normal procedure. I go right through this. Put a tape in, hit the tape, make sure the volume's right. And then, you know, engage the gears. But now, I don't have to think about doing that every time. It's become habit with me. But now, if I want to change that procedure in any way and rearrange the steps that I take, I can. But I'm going to have to think about it and apply myself to doing it in order for that new, that new procedure to become a lifestyle with me. All right? And when it does, I'm not going to have to think about it. I will just go through the steps without thinking. But in order to come to that place, I've got to exercise myself. I've got to concentrate and I've got to apply myself to doing it. Now, the same thing happens when we want to start walking in love. First thing you've got to do when you wake up in the morning is say, Thank you, Father. You are love. And your life and your love has been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. I am able to demonstrate and walk in your love today. Not just for myself. I'm talking about allowing that love to flow through me. That love that looks beyond the facade. That love that looks beyond the limitation. That love that looks beyond the things that we naturally look at and we respond and react to in people. I'm not going to look at a person's failings. I'm going to look at the Lord completing them. I'm going to cut them some slack in the spirit realm. I don't listen to the words that they speak, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. I'm going to listen to the spirit of the word that they're bringing. What is the spirit of what they're saying? See, because if you and I really want to push each other down, all you've got to do is say, but you said. Yep. Argument, husband yep. and wife, but you said. And they really didn't mean it, but it's the emotion and the heat and the temperature just rises and the whole thing runs away with us. Now, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm become a sounding brass or a tingling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and don't have love, I am nothing. I want you to place an emphasis under that word I. Because you see, you think that you're such a brass, but if you, you ain't got this, you ain't anything. That's what it says. I am nothing. See? Verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, 
it profits me nothing. Others may profit by my giving. Others may profit by my running myself into the ground. But I'm the one, because it says it profits me nothing. So there again. See, the whole purpose of this love is that I also get blessed. Now, have a look here at verse 4. And in place of charity or love, I'm going to put the word God. God suffers long and is kind. Love or God envies not. God doesn't vaunt himself up. God is not puffed up. God does not behave himself unseemly. God doesn't seek his own. God is not easily provoked. God doesn't think any evil. God doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. God bears all things. God believes all things. God hopes all things. And God endures all things. Look at the beginning of the next verse. God never fails. Now, you see, we have blamed God for doing a whole bunch of things. We've said that God gets so mad with us, He pushes us down and casts us off. God just gets mad and God does this, that and the next thing because His children step out of line. I'm sorry to have to say, I don't agree. That is old covenant. Revelation that I've got from the Word of God is that God never, ever fails in His working with us in every situation, even though we fail. See, we're talking about the character of God. We're saying, you know, uh, th there are people, you know, uh, who, and we've heard them, you know, uh, the Lord took my child. I was, I, was, I was listening to a burial service the other day. As it has pleased the Lord to take our beloved son, so-and-so, so-and-so. Not my God. I don't know which one you're praying to. That's the first thing that rose up in my spirit. Because God is the giver of life. He's not the taker from. He's the adder to. God says, with long life I will bless you. See? Well, what happens to people who die before their time? I don't know. But I know it's not God. I seem to recall John 10.10 10 tells me the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. And God's not a thief. I knew I'd get a real good response on that one. Love doesn't kill its children. Love doesn't deprive them. Love doesn't push them down so you cannot function. I've heard a preacher say that. God pushed me down so that I couldn't function. Rubbish. Rubbish. Maybe your arrogant nature was one that the Holy Spirit was dealing with and He's kicking the tripe out of you. That's true. But that you couldn't function, all you had to do was bow the knee of your will and you can function. You were being stubborn. Now if you want to be stubborn, hey... God said, man, I can get you to bend and do somersaults, tie you in a figure eight. 
But I won't break you. He said, I won't break you. But God doesn't do that. Because you see, God does not want me serving Him because He's put pressure on me. God's got tons of people who will serve Him because they love Him. So all I've got to do is I've got to say, Lord, I love you. And it takes this whole pressure situation off the boil. People don't get pushed by God into service. You, you do not have great ability that God can't do without. That my Lord, He's just got to have you and nobody else to do that work because you can't do it without His ability. And His ability is available to anybody who will just make themselves available. He'll put His ability upon them and they'll go and do the job. So why on earth would God want to push you down? To get you to do something. No, that is not the character of God. God's character is this. Here the options are. Choose what you want to do. And if you choose to go against God, He will love you all the way to the very pit of hell. And His Holy Spirit will minister to you right to the very pit of hell. But if you want to go that way, you can. Nowhere in the Word of God that God pushes you down and makes you do what He wants you to do. God wants you to serve Him because you love Him. He's put His life on the inside of you. He leads you by His Spirit. You've got His Word. And when you get obedient to do what God wants you to do, blessing follows. So when we start dealing with people, that's how we start dealing with people. We look at them and understand this. They are not going to get born again necessarily straight away. They're not, you might have to work with them forever and a day. That family of yours may be your mission field. Oh, but God, I want you to send me to China. Why? <laughs> Lord, I want to go to India. Why? Now I'm being serious. See, your family might be your mission field. If I have a look at the commission, Jesus instructed the disciples, you go out, wait in Jerusalem until the power, you are endued with ability from on high. And you stay in Jerusalem until that happens. Well, that happened. So the power of the Holy Spirit is in the earth. It's available to every born-again believer. And you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is your home. That's home base. And I don't believe that you have any right to even look beyond home base until you've dealt with home base. Jerusalem, Judea, that's the neighborhood. Samaria, places that are not too desirable. And then to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's a progression outwards. Why do we start at Jerusalem? Because they know you. It's the hardest place. We're talking the character of God. You see, can I trust God to reach my loved ones and save them? Yeah? Can I? The Word of God tells me, you're talking the character of God. He says, it is not my will that any should perish, but that all should come to a saving knowledge. That's His will. Right there in God's heart. Well, Father, if that's your will, can you show me how I can reach them? And I'm going to tell you how you're going to reach them. I'll, I'll tell you how. First of all, you're not going to reach them. You're not going to reach them by your doctrine. You're not going to reach them with your theology. 
You're going to reach them because they see a transformation take place in your life that only God could bring about. They're going to stand there and say, who are you? Who are you? We knew who you were, but we've seen such changes. And you're not having to work at it. It's not cosmetic. But when you're running around giving people the idea that you're all spiritual, and they're saying, cut it out. You haven't arrived. You haven't arrived. People will see the change. And the change that God makes always comes from the inside outward. We talk about the love of God. When you look at them and you can go and serve them. I made mention of this on Sunday. You don't have any right to criticize the way a person dresses, the way a person speaks, what a person does, until you prepare to wash their feet. You prepare to wash their feet? Maybe the Holy Spirit will release you to say something to them. But until that time, you don't have any right to do it. No God-given right. You prepare to serve them? When the Lord gives you a word for a person, and we're talking about love, see, this is why I'm against personal prophecy. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I want to tell you it happens in charismatic churches far too often. God will speak to me about my life way before He'll speak to you about my life. And, And the same applies the other way around. So what you've got to learn to do is hear what God is saying to you and get obedient. But if the Lord does release you to go along and share a word with a person, I'm going to add a rider to this. This is what I believe in my heart. That if God has given you a word for a person, He's given you that word for that person so that you can help that person walk through that situation. Now, if you're not prepared to, don't speak to them. Thus saith the Lord. And then you go and give it to them. That's fine. Provided you prepare to say at the end, now I'll tell you what, brother. Give me your hand. I'm going to walk through this thing with you. I'm going to, be with, I'm going to call you every day. I'm going to be praying with you about this. And we'll walk through this whole situation together. And at the end, we'll be, we'll be able to look back and have a great testimony for what God has done then I believe you've got, that's what I mean by washing feet, then I believe you've got a right to go along and share with a person a personal prophecy. But unless you prepare to walk through them in that situation, you don't have any right. We run off at the mouth. Charismatics are great at that. We run off at the mouth, thus saith the Lord, and then we just leave the person smashed to pieces over there, and the Lord will heal them. Now, God wants us to walk in love. And love suffers long and is kind. And that means I might have an ugly person next to me in the training center. (laughs) Ugly, I mean real prickly. I might have a person that's like that in the meeting and I'm not able to get on with them. God wants me to learn to love them. Look at them with the eyes of the Lord. And I'm able to suffer long and all the time I'm suffering on the inside... I'm kind, and I love them, and I love them into the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, you're changing us. We don't ask, Father, for you to give us strokes. We know that you love us. We know that. We know that you love us. But we do ask you to keep ministering to us 
so that change would be brought in our lives. And that the changes that are brought about by you will enable your life to flow through us and be reflected through us even more. Help us to walk in love. Help us to see people with your eyes. Help us to look beyond human frailty and weakness. Let us see them, Father, in their potential in you. So we bless you for all that you're doing. Thank you that you never change. Thank you that you cannot lie. Thank you that you are always the same. Thank you that you are here and that to bless your children. And we bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.